Chapter 14 of Recollections of Bush Life in Australia by Henry William Haygarth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Female Society in the Bush. I mind add much more. The recollections of many years would serve to swell out my volume with yet undescribed scenes of colonial life, scenes of industry and enterprise, of excitement and loneliness of deep disappointment and unexpected success but enough has been said to tell the young adventurer what he may hope and what he must learn to forego if he seeks to make himself a home in the bush of australia of one important omission i am still conscious an omission which will go further with most readers to convey an idea of want of civilization in the bush than the most flattering descriptions can remove i have hardly touched on the condition of women in those far regions the state of female society and its influence in polishing the manners and softening the hardships of pastoral life it is true that though women must in every english home play an important part it is not in the bush a prominent one her domestic duties are so engrossing that if she had the power she has scarcely the time to stir abroad of society as we understand the word there is little or none the management of her household affairs requires constant attention and the difficulty of finding tolerable servants especially female servants and of keeping them when found reduces her to perform offices to which she had previously been unaccustomed but then some reader may perhaps anxiously ask are the hardships and privations such that no man of feeling could bear to expose his wife to them and that no man without culpable selfishness could ask any woman to share them with him not to trifle with the impatience of such a questioner i answer at once certainly not it must be remembered that the sting of all such inconveniences in a civilized country lies in the mortification which they inflict on our pride they are painful not in themselves but because they are considered degrading when the performance of most menial services meets applause instead of a sneer when it is no proof of want of refinement nor even of poverty the hardship vanishes at once where is the great difference between watering a flower-bed and dusting a drawing-room if we remove ourselves from the conventional influence of the notions which assign one task to the housemaid and the other to the lady of the mansion as long as the settler went to his station with the hope of returning to england in a few years with a competent fortune it was natural that he should defer the intention of establishing himself till he had influence and a more luxurious home to offer but now that he must make the bush his home his lot would indeed be hard if he were doomed to toil on in solitude and selfishness uncheered by objects of affection whose smile might repay his labors with no other motive than to supply his own daily wants or amass wealth for he cares not whom to all who have not more than common resources in themselves the solitude of the bush is at times very oppressive to relieve this in some degree it is not unusual for settlers to enter into partnership and unite their establishments at the same station but difficulties of making any such agreement with a prospect of mutual satisfaction are obviously great and the difficulties of carrying it out are still greater even in the full tide of prosperity it is not easy to maintain harmony between the parties in the ebb of adversity it is scarcely possible 
and such agreements are generally of short duration it is usually remarked in the colony that single men are apt to neglect their affairs being glad to avail themselves of every pretext for leaving home in quest of society or if they remain there they are often driven to seek solace in intemperance and the usual homely practical advice given to a young man as soon as he has got a little settled and sees his way before him is to take a wife as speedily as possible my own observation tends to confirm the wisdom of this advice i have always remarked that the happiest home in the interior of australia were those over which a lady presided and the most contented and usually the most prosperous settlers must be looked for among those who in women's love have found a balm for disappointment and the noblest stimulus to exertion but is the prospect of the bush after all so very alarming how much can taste and refinement do to dignify and embellish the settler's home it is far from uncomfortable it has not been improved perhaps so much as it might have been for the frequent changes in government regulations respecting the bush have shaken the settler's confidence in his tenure and he is unwilling to lay out capital on improvements which promise no return but it is not inconvenient a woman's taste may make it elegant as the nests of certain birds are distinguished by the delicacy of their texture and materials so woman's home betrays itself even in the bush of australia the garden too admits of improvement and affords an agreeable out-of-doors occupation at all stations there is an excellent kitchen garden the native fruits are few the principle is a sort of currant too acid to be generally popular but the fruit of england and many other countries may be naturalized with ease the vine will flourish in most parts of the colony i have seen some good flower gardens very far in the interior and as leisure increases the cultivation of these may be more carefully attended to the flora of australia is very beautiful and delicate though truth compels me to own that australian flowers have little perfume the hours in the bush are early but the wife will have no difficulty in keeping the hours of her husband and what resident in australia would not be amply repaid for the exertion of early rising by the beauty and delicious coolness of the dawn the evenings after the business of the day is over are sometimes rather long for there is little or no twilight at the antipodes but this time is precious in the bush as it affords leisure for an important duty in the settler's life the duty of keeping up whatever accomplishments and cultivated tastes he has brought with him and most of all a taste for reading let a young married couple beware lest the novelty of bush life its toils and cares or the charms of each other's society wean them from those habits of mental cultivation which are more easily lost than acquired the time will come when they will bitterly lament for their own sakes having neglected any means they once possessed of giving interest variety and even dignity to a pastoral life this regret will be most severely felt for the sake of their family when they have children of an age to be taught the time will soon come when they must decide on the alternative of an early separation from their children if indeed they have the means of sending them to school and persons to whom they can entrust them or on the other hand of seeing them grow up at home with hardly better manners and breeding than those of a shepherd or stockkeeper one great and painful difficulty is found in carrying on education in the bush 
I mean that of preventing children from associating with and learning the language and manners of those whom, from sheer necessity, the settler in the far districts is often forced to employ as house-servants. This is a source of much anxiety, and the evil can only be obviated by watchful care. But the subject suggests to me, naturally, what I conceive to be the true mission of a woman in the bush of Australia, to civilize and Christianize its rising population by her influence, example, and gentle persuasion. With so noble a field for utility before her, no woman, such as I picture her to my imagination, would repine at some curtailment of the luxuries, or rather, shall I say, the feverish excitement of life, while her usefulness thus employed may in its remote effects last to the end of time. Man is too much occupied in the active and toilsome cares of the day. He wants the delicate tact, the instinctive sympathy to touch and persuade. It is woman that must prepare the way and aid the diffusion of religious instruction, or the clergymen will labor in vain. The persuasion that the bush must now be the settler's home, and the consequently increased frequency of marriage, will do more for the civilization of the interior of Australia in a few years than a century could have done had it continued to be tenanted by a rapid succession of temporary residents. Before I conclude, I have yet a few more words of advice to offer to those who, without any previous colonial experience, intend to visit Australia for the purpose of engaging in pastoral pursuits, or who, feeling, from their own peculiar circumstances, the oppressive solitude of a crowd in a crowded land may wish to leave it. Perchance beyond the waves to find some happier home, some country less unkind. It is a common saying in Australia that nobody makes eventually so good a settler as the man who has brought his experience, or who, as the phrase goes, has been well victimized. No doubt in the colonies, as in most other parts of the world, knowledge purchased at such a cost is most deeply impressed and longest retained. But experience itself may be bought too dear and surely it is always bought too dear if it might have been bought at a cheaper rate. The capitalist who could not gain an insight into his intended pursuits without greatly decreasing the money which he travelled so far to invest is in no better plight than a vessel which, after outliving a severe gale, arrives in port, but at the cost of having thrown overboard the greater part of her cargo. Among those who, a few years ago, visited the colony, a notion seemed to prevail that, although for other occupations some previous preparation might be necessary, a knowledge of the management of stock establishment in the interior of New South Wales was to be gained by intuition. Whence this delusion arose it would perhaps be difficult to ascertain, but so it frequently happened, that young men who had just left England, as ignorant of stock and farming in all its branches as a totally different education could make them, would take it for granted, when fairly landed in Sydney, that they were at once fully competent to be managers of a large station in the interior. This notion, which has now fortunately become less frequent, cannot be too forcibly combated, for though no higher order of intellect may be required to learn the routine of a settler's life, Yet the newcomer may be assured that without the previous acquisition of knowledge and the judicious application of it when required, it will be in vain to hope for success. 
the first object of the young colonist when he lands in australia should be to endeavor to see things as they are not through the magnifying glass of his hopes and wishes many a capitalist is so impatient to plunge in at once into the full tide of business that all reflection is laid aside he has come out for the purpose of buying stock and stock he must buy reasonably if possible but stock at any sacrifice the consequence is that when experience the only monitor in such cases brings home to him the consequences of his error he blames the country its ways his bad fortune in short anything but the real cause his own rashness and that ignorance which finds not till it feels there is something in the very atmosphere of sydney which seems to inspire the newcomer with rashness and to hurry him into inconsiderate purchases the novelty of his situation the recollection of his professed purpose on leaving england and perhaps all of the castles in the air which he has built during his passage out tend to augment his impetuosity the passion for wealth which his previous education had hitherto allowed to lie dormant is roused into sudden and ungovernable activity he looks around him and finds in this his new sphere that the love of gain reigns paramount and supreme if he takes up a sydney herald he finds it full of advertisements to capitalists and moneyed men urging them not to lose a moment in availing themselves of this excellent opportunity now offered which the auctioneer feels confident in stating may never occur again of making a fortune an afternoon's walk through the streets shows him scarcely anything but the eager look and puckered mouth of the man of business his acquaintances all talk to him about investment and at the dinner-table he still meets his friends with speculation in their eyes it is therefore very difficult for the stranger to resist the force of an example so constantly acting upon him his coolness soon deserts him he is carried away by the stream and learns to think and act with the rest of the world around him passion makes men credulous and credulity has been the bane of many a newcomer when some promising bargain in stock duly ushered forth in the daily papers meets his eye it must always be obvious to the reader who consults his reason that the advertiser probably finds owing to circumstances not mentioned in the catalogue that the stock which he is offering for sale is not repaying him the advantages set forth may very likely really exist as far as they go but are in all likelihood counterbalanced by drawbacks which a stranger in the country will not have sufficient judgment to discover in time human nature is much the same everywhere and greater candor cannot reasonably be expected from the robinses of sydney than from him whose lively imagination has made him so famous at home the safest course and indeed the only one likely to lead to good results is to wait with patience let the newly arrived capitalist give up all intention of purchasing stock for at least two years during which time he should go into the interior and reside upon some large grazing establishment where he may have facilities for learning the necessary routine of bush life by this mode of proceeding he will gain a twofold advantage should the sort of life really not suit him he will be able to withdraw in time but if on the other hand he should wish after his trial to carry out his first intentions 
he ought after two years experience to have gained sufficient knowledge of the intrinsic value of colonial property to enable him to invest his capital with prospect of a fair return by this previous residence at a station he will acquire the necessary knowledge of the sort of business a capital of experience is as indispensable to a settler as a capital of money a stock establishment in the hands of a novice is little better than a spirited horse in the possession of a bad rider it will only give him a fall nor let it be supposed that time is lost by thus waiting to gain experience surely it is better to remain stationary than to be drifted in the wrong direction it is cheaper to buy experience than by giving up for a time all hope of gain than by incurring immediately a positive and heavy loss the capitalist who has been able to exert his forbearance will find himself after a few years considerably in advance of those who have pursued the usual course many who have lost their time and their capital in australia would if they had followed the plan here recommended have been comparatively rich they would not perhaps have equalled their first expectations but they would have at least have added something to their capital instead of seeing it dwindled away through their own mismanagement at the commencement of the settler's career it is of the greatest consequence to fix at once upon a part of the colony where the pasture is most favorable to the sort of stock which is intended to put upon it since inferior stock of a good country will be always found more profitable than that of a far better description if kept upon an indifferent station soil and pasture vary so much within a short distance of each other in australia both in quantity and quality that he who purchases a station on the faith of having received a good account of the one adjacent to it often finds to his cost that its capabilities for pastoral purposes are totally different and very inferior some runs lie too low for sheep others too high for horned cattle some are too much exposed and some again are too heavily timbered and covered with scrub while many a station which appears highly desirable if seen after wet weather loses almost its whole supply of water in a dry season sometimes a tract of country appears to an unpractised eye to be all that could be desired abounding in grass water and open forest for shelter but after having fixed upon it and incurred the trouble and expense of getting up an establishment the newcomer finds his mistake too late the pasture is sour and no livestock will thrive upon it horses and horned cattle being unconfined will roam away in search of more congenial spots and though the sheep being folded at night cannot stray off yet they soon indicate by their condition that the grass is unsuitable to them abundant as it is they eat little of it and that little appears to afford them no nourishment and thus they starve in the midst of plenty even the facilities for taking the stock to a good market have been overlooked by newcomers through their haste to commence business and they have subsequently discovered that having misjudged their distance the expense of getting the available stock to the capital deducts so much from its value as to take away nearly all the profit a really good station having every requisite viz size pasture of good quality water and vicinity to an advantageous market is very valuable throughout the colony and consequently is much sought after and difficult to be obtained 
theoretical calculations of the interest derivable from money invested in pastoral pursuits in australia can seldom be depended on the result of experience on this point having usually been that they are more apt to mislead than to benefit the young colonist and he who trusts to them usually lives to see their fallacy the fact is that the colonial markets are so variable and the annual expense of a station so much influenced not only by good and bad management but by other circumstances which cannot be controlled that even a man of long experience is often greatly deceived in his judgment that of a newcomer to the colony must therefore be very fallible being usually derived partly from the advice of interested individuals partly from the small talk of the capital or vague notions previously gathered at home in making a purchase the stranger will do well to bear in mind that the nice sense of honor which in the mother country he has probably been accustomed to expect must not be relied on too confidently at the antipodes it is true that he will meet with many men in australia possessed of as high a notion of honor as are to be found in any part of the world but it naturally happens in this colony as in most new countries that the insatiate thirst for wealth as well as the great mixture of society tends in a considerable degree to blunt the fine edge of principle it is to be hoped and it is the general opinion that the commercial and pastoral prosperity of australia though it received a severe shock now stands on firmer ground than it has ever done before and it is very improbable that the settler will ever again be harassed by such a fearful fluctuation of prices as has occurred within the last eight years but that the young colonist may know that he has escaped i may mention that during my residence in australia merino ewes have been worth two guineas each and they have also been sold for a shilling mixed cattle fell in price from five pounds to twelve shillings per head and a brood-mare which in eighteen thirty nine would have fetched sixty guineas could be bought a year or two afterwards for fourteen pounds these changes are never likely to occur again as the actual value of each kind of stock is now more generally ascertained once more i may warn the capitalist that he will do well to dismiss from his mind the idea of making a fortune by pastoral pursuits if he now emigrates he must do so with the intention of making a long residence in the country or of adopting it as his permanent home and must not look upon it as a place from which he is constantly struggling to get free many continue to cherish this wish to escape and thus fail in deriving from their situation the advantages it really holds out thus they struggle on discontented and repining and having begun by expecting too much from australia as a land of promise they end by blaming it unfairly to use their own expression as a land of little performance the best settler and certainly the happiest man is he who having a few ties in the mother country can actually and not nominally adopt a new one they who in mind at least and in feeling remain strangers and sojourners in the land are the most sensibly touched by the reverses of fortune and by the many disappointments which must necessarily occur to lessen their chance of deliverance from what to them is thraldom and of return to enjoy again the refinements and share in the sympathies which an old country can alone afford on the other hand 
what lot is more enviable than his who cherishing for the land of his birth an affectionate regard unmingled with painful regrets sees in the land of his adoption the scene of his honourable exertions and of his future usefulness a new home gained by his own industry where his family are growing up around him in health and independence let us further suppose that such a man employs the whole weight of his character of his wealth and his newly acquired influence in promoting to the utmost the spread of morality and religious instruction and thus purifying at its source the fountain of public prosperity such men there are and many more who need but little increase of zeal to become altogether such what a noble opportunity is thus offered to the colonist of serving the best interests of the land of his birth and of showing his gratitude to the land of his adoption not a little let us acknowledge with thankfulness has been done to correct the evils inseparable from the organization of an infant colony but more remains to do and in such a cause the most forward can never do too much end of chapter fourteen recording by kirk ziegler ogden utah voiceovers by kirk dot com end of recollections of bush life in australia by henry william haygarth